When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm here with Andrea Demis. Hi. How you doing, Jesse? I'm good. Sorry, I totally wasn't ready for that one. That's okay. Did I get yeah. it right? No, you got it. Yeah. Okay. I'm here with Andrea Demis. D- dabbles in politics? Uh, yeah, occasionally. I mean, last year, that was pretty much my entire life. Who did you run against? My final opponent, I guess, ended up being Rob Ford. Writes for Hazlitt? Yes. Right. Hazlitt and uh, Toronto Life. Toronto Life? Yep. And I just got picked up by uh, Torontoists, so I'm going to be doing a couple of pieces for them, too. Welcome to Shortcuts. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Ken Cunningham, John Buffone, Nathan Bain, Carol, Chris Camfield, Paul Barron, Kim Schweet, Janice Zolf, Jay Sergei Sochin, and Tristan Bradley. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals pre and probiotics and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. Police in Nova Scotia say they have foiled a major plot, a mass shooting in a public place supposed to happen tomorrow. Four young people were allegedly involved and one tonight... One of them is dead. When we hear about plots like this one and others like it, what type of person 
plans this kind of thing? I wouldn't characterize it as a uh, terrorist event. Um, I would classify it as a, uh, a group of individuals that um, had some beliefs and were willing to carry out violent acts against citizens. What I can tell you is that this appeared to be a group of murderous misfits. The attack does not appear to have been culturally motivated, therefore not linked to terrorism. What? Murderous misfits. I, I don't, I'm still trying to piece together what that means. Murderous misfits who are going to open fire in a shopping mall uh, on Valentine's Day and who were part of this Columbiner internet culture. Right. So, but don't forget, this is not culturally related. It's not culturally Neo Nazism is not a culture, right? Or, and not one that I have to be afraid of personally. You could kind of even like take out the proper nouns, like so. A bunch of disaffected, alienated young people find each other on the internet, rally around certain kind of martyred heroes, murderers who, for some reason, have been uh, deified, and you know whatever mixture of alienation and sexual oppression gets worked out through a plot to go and randomly assassinate people for the hell of it, um, perhaps so that they can be remembered and deified as well. And that's not terrorism? That doesn't sound at all familiar to me. And I think it kind of goes to show how little meaning the word terrorism has. And, um, you know, I thought about this. Uh, it, when we had this conversation back around 2001, don't forget, there was a Canadian scholar. I, I may get this wrong here, but I think her name was Sunira Tabani. And um, she was, I believe she was from Tanzania and she, she had talked about, um, the United States needing to have a look at its, like do a little bit of soul searching and understand why the September 11th attack happens, what the United States might've done, uh, in other countries to precipitate this kind of attack. And she was like, she was roundly lambasted. And here we are again, where, um, you know, we've, we've had attacks on our soil, but it didn't seem to have any sort of motivation behind it besides somebody who's lonely, disaffected and angry, just sort of taking their, um, anger out on society, and then focusing their hatred through the lens of Islam. Not to say that they were Muslim people whatsoever, but that's sort of the ideology that they ascribe to. So now we're at a point where if you subscribe to one type of ideology, it's therefore not linked to terrorism. But if you subscribe to um, an ideology of uh, that has anything to do with Islam, it is terrorism. It, it does qualify. And what we can really boil that down to is if it makes middle and upper class white people afraid— or fearful, that's what counts as terrorism. It's about race. I mean, it, it just is. Like on the CBC, well, I mean, they, you, they were, you know, like describing two of the suspects, the people connected to it, and uh, the uh, the correspondent um, characterized them as two ordinary guys. Yeah. They're just two, like, what he was saying is they're like us. They're like me. This It's somebody that I would pass in a mall and wouldn't even look at them twice. And it's... Look, I have a lot of reason to be afraid of neo-Nazi. I mean, I, I, I went to high school, you know, here in Rexdale, but... Um, I finished high school in the Deep South. And I mean, I went to school with kids that wore Confederate belt buckles. I have, I've had my life threatened um, by people with white supremacist ideology. These are people that I genuinely fear. But because my fear isn't translatable to, like, to Canada at large, we're going to say, well, this is not really terrorism. It's nothing for you to be afraid of. But I have a lot of reasons to be afraid personally. I have a lot of reasons, you know, why people in my community should feel afraid. Yeah, of, of shooting, we have reason to be afraid. Not as much reason to, uh, to be afraid of, of, of shootings of any kind as we do reasons to be afraid of bears, as I've established in the past. <laughs> These are very rare occasions. But, like, 
we, and the press right now is filled with all this equivocation, you know, looking at the criminal code and, of course, Peter McKay saying, well, it's, it's uh, you know, not, not cu- culturally related. Like, yeah, cultural motivation is what is what makes something terrorism. And the answer is right in front of us. In the, well, ca- at, in the case else? of the Villarreal um, plot, the guys' names were Raed and Cheheb. And in this case, the people's – their names are Lindsay and Randall. Raed and Cheheb are terrorists and Lindsay and Randall are murderous misfits. It is about race. Right. Absolutely. And here's – you look at who we call terrorists. I mean, um, I remember hearing that uh, the I don't know more protesters were engaging in some form of terrorism, and the uh, the Ferguson protesters and, um, and the uh, the Black Lives Matter protesters who disrupted traffic in New York and Missouri, um, they were called violent. Whenever we have something that doesn't involve necessarily uh, death or violence, but does make people very very uncomfortable um, about others who don't look like them, we're so quickly willing to label that terrorism, but. When there is a reason for people of color to be afraid of white violence having to do with white supremacy, we want to write that off as, well, first of all, we just jump right to the, the, uh, the mental illness defense and, and then marginalize people uh, who have uh, mental health issues. So we say that there's something wrong with them or that they're deeply disturbed or that they've got mental health. And this is why we need to you know, increase funding for psychiatric programs. And really, it's... You know, white supremacy is in the air that we, we, we breathe. It's, it's, in, it's almost like the water that we swim in. And there's a lot of people who are going to subscribe to these types of ideologies. It's, they're not misfits. They're not, um, you know, mentally disturbed. You can't just diagnose somebody that way. You have to take responsibility for the fact that a lot of what we consume as a culture and a lot of what we speak promotes this kind of an ideology. It promotes fear of, of Muslim people. I remember seeing... Um, and I know we're going to get to this in a second, but you know when we talk but which, about which ideology, the Nazism or or, or, or just general well, Islamophobia. Well, I think when people hear white supremacy, they think Nazism, but that's not what I'm talking about. When I say white supremacy, I mean the the sense that there's a space in the social hierarchy that white people occupy, and that's the way that it's supposed to be. And when people of color begin to occupy that same space, there is something wrong with that. The focus on the religion. I experienced this this week when I was tweeting about the death of Sun News and you know uh, responding to a piece that had been on the website about to the extent to which this was you know possibly a racist organization because of the way that they went after Muslims and all I, all of these people none of the Muslims except, <laughs> with, the, with the exception of Tarek Fatah came at me saying well. Islam isn't a race. You know, why, why are you making this about a race? Islam isn't a race. And well, yeah, but when you demonize Islam, it's people of visible and ethnic the, minorities who are targeted. You know, anybody who comes at you with that knows exactly what they're doing because it's – whenever we have these kinds of conversations, the first thing that people want to do is obscure what it is that we're talking about to begin with. Of course, Islam is not a race. But when you think of people who um, follow the Muslim practice, in most people's minds, I would think it's safe to say that you're going to think of, of somebody who's brown-skinned. You might think of somebody who's maybe like East African, but it, it, it sort of falls down to the same. These are people who don't look or pray or talk like us. So therefore, there's, there's a reason to be afraid. Yeah, and I think that there's this safety. It's a lie when people say, look, I am a um, secular, atheistic, rational, liberal humanitarian who has a uh, sweeping criticism of all major religions. So you can't tell me that I can't say that I'm totally against it. Like, I'm against Islamic radicalism and, and, and you know, fundamental I – mean, I, I, you know, I have the same problem with the sexism in but it's Orthodox that, Judaism or you – know, you know, but that's – like you, you can't pretend that this doesn't visit itself upon the lives of 
brown people in Canada disproportionately, your critique of Islam is – people well, have people, to live with that. Well, people think they're critiquing Islam and they often end up just critiquing brown people instead. Yeah. For example, like they always um, – one of the, the, the immediate fallbacks is to start talking about female genital, genital mutilation. And that's a practice that – which is like, you know, it's, it's done piecemeal throughout various regions of the world. But that's not a criticism against Islam that you have. That's a criticism against certain cultural practices. But they want to fall back on that because it's the one that's going to get the most emotional resonance with people. Of course, everyone hates the idea of female genital mutilation. But if you, if you then conflate that with Islam, now you're making a case. But it, look, I don't, I don't think that there's a single person out there who doesn't know what you're talking about when you say that this is racist. They just want to obscure the conversation. They don't really want to carry the conversation out because a lot of people just don't want to be inculpated. They don't want to feel the guilt of having participated in that. So they try to, to stop the conversation happening in the first place. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not so damning as you are. Like I, I, I kind of – I'm corresponding with people out there and some of them listen to this show who like want to engage in a, in, in a critical conversation about religious fundamentalism. That's fine. We can have that conversation. But you can't have that conversation and pretend – that there isn't an impact and pretend that it isn't having a disproportionate effect on certain like identifiable racial groups in this country. Well, I mean, that, but that's also how the machinery operates is just denial. I've actually had to just say to a couple of people this week, like, sorry, but I just I can't have conversations with you anymore. I can't debate this because it's no longer a debate. You're trying to rationalize to me why you should just be allowed to be racist. The Mississauga woman is taking the federal government to court. She doesn't want to have to enter the room and take the oath of citizenship unless she can keep her face covered. The judge is required to see that uh, the person is actually reciting uh, the oath of citizenship. Uh, uh, we believe that's very, very important. I believe, and I think most Canadians believe, that it is, uh, it is offensive that someone would hide their identity at the very moment where they are committing to join the Canadian family. This is a society uh, that is transparent, open, and where people are equal. And that is just, uh, I think we find that offensive, that is not acceptable to Canadians. Which Canadians are we talking about here? Well, I, I, know, I know which Canadians he's talking about, and I don't believe that he's offended. Well, I, here's, I just don't believe I, him. I, I just, is there, I mean, I'm not a constitutional scholar by any stretch, but is there a law that states that, you know, because Jason Kinney says so, they should be able to stop somebody from participating in the citizenship ceremony if they feel offended? Well, the law just said that, that, that no. The law just said very, very explicitly that, that they can, uh, that uh, the Zunera Ishak can. Right. And, and, and it, you know, the, the conservatives um, accusing – whenever they accuse like the, you know, the Supreme Court of activist judges, the bench, these are activist – Politicians. These are <laughs> these are activist government. But it sort of comes back to what we we're talking about in the first place, which is sort of appealing to the mass Canadian value. When you talk about you know Canadians feel offended, we know who we're talking about. We mean like you know middle class white Canadians who don't really understand this stuff. And the funny part to me is you know the the reasoning, the 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 logical contortions that they come up with to justify this. You know we're trying to empower women. Um, but how can you empower somebody when you're robbing her of her agency? So if Miss Ishak believes that her like her agency is best suited by wearing the niqab who are you to take that away from her well this is where sort of this uh and and you know this is he's playing to quebec here and it's where like secular liberalism 
comes all the way around and meets with fascism again because it's you know a feminist argument that we we consider the burqa and the niqab to be you know instruments of of, of the patriarchy and we don't accept that here. You're in Canada now, and it's like, well, wait a second, because if you're so because if you're arguing ex- about yeah. empowerment, and this is why like Zunaira Ishak is so badass, like you can't. She's doing this by herself. Like she's my hero. She's out there just like she's slanging all on her own and I know. taking down the federal. Like this is this is the stuff that gives me life. So you know, do you try to characterize that woman as some like uh, oppressed victim of a patriarchy and you know she is fierce well here's 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 the part I mean if you believe if you honestly believe in your heart that um, trying to bring uh, Muslim women out of the hijab or out of the niqab you you think that you're actually doing the work of feminism I, I just I implore you to consider as a matter of fact this is gonna sound like it doesn't have much to do with this but it does um, Jessica Williams, who was a correspondent on The Daily Show, uh, was asked um, you know, whether she was interested in taking over Jon Stewart's job after he retires. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, no, I, I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but she said something along the lines of, no, I don't believe that I'm ready. And then there was a, uh, a writer who then wrote a story about Jessica Williams saying, well, you know, we believe that she needs an intervention and that she has imposter syndrome just believing that she can't actually take on the job when she's got every reason to take on that job. And Jessica Williams was mad offended by that. She said, like, this is really insulting to me. She's a young black woman. Yeah, right. She doesn't believe that she's ready for that spot She's yet. not ready. And that shows an incredible presence of and mind for, and to, self. For her to, to say, like, no, this is my choice. And I, you know, she, she on Twitter, she got into it with the uh, lady who wrote the article and says, no, that was really insulting because my fem- feminism is also my choice. It's my agency. And for you to take that away from me and try to diagnose me in front of everyone, it's it's really insulting. And then she closed off with... Just lean the fuck away from me for a couple of days. Yeah. I thought that was that was pitch perfect. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to take this back to Zanira Ishak, which is, who the hell are you who doesn't um, ascribe to this culture, who doesn't have that kind of lived experience? Who are you to believe that you're liberating anyone by telling her that she cannot wear the niqab during the ceremony? Yeah. Even though it's possible that she can verify her identity with somebody else in a closed room beforehand and then take the oath, there's you're not empowering her. You're robbing her of her... Um, her rights and her agency to swear her citizenship in a way that she feels is appropriate to her. But let's not even be silly here because like of this – there is no issue. It's a completely made-up issue. The courts have said there's no issue. It, I'm sorry if you don't like the idea of somebody with their head uh, obscured, with their face obscured taking the oath of citizenship. But as you, as you said, she's to- there is no actual practical issue. She's willing to have her identity confirmed immediately beforehand and the courts have, have upheld that. That is law in Canada. So what we're actually seeing here – is just a little bit of strategy thrown out there, just a little bit of uh, that the government's going to appeal this. I mean, this this is uh, well, this a, is how you mo- elections. This coming. is how you mobilize, and this is how you normalize. Um, I, I was going to say white privilege, but in a sense, I'd say white supremacy because when you say that <clears throat> Canadians find the defense, you're basically saying that for this woman to exercise her democratic rights, that Canadians find the defensive, and we know which Canadians that we're talking about. And I find it personally offensive as somebody who is born in Canada and is a person of color. I personally find that offensive that he would try to conscript me on his behalf to try and make me an agent against Zanira Ishak. I find it offensive too, but I, I don't give a damn about your offense or my offense or Stephen Harper's offense when he says that he's offended that she, you know, in exercising her right as the law has set it out as a Canadian to practice her religion. I mean, this is a fundamental freedom, freedom of religion. I don't really like burqas or niqabs. I think that there is a tradition of sexism. There's a tradition of sexism in Judaism with, with uh, you know, religious women wearing uh, uh, shaitals and like there's all kinds of stuff that, that does have. That's just me. 
I like my wow. who gives a damn what I like th- that we live in a free country. People but can I, practice whatever religion they want. I gotta put want. you on the spot though. Why do you find it offensive? If you like, if you say that it's steeped in patriarchy, well, look at the cultural double standard that we have. Even even in liberated Western society, where women can choose to wear clothes or not wear clothes, or however it is that. Look at what values that we promote, like as far as sexual sexuality and identity goes. You know, like we will celebrate a woman wearing her hair down. We'll celebrate a woman embracing her body. But at the same time, we'll shame women for wearing their hair down. We'll, we'll shame women for embracing the, Like we're no better here. I, you know what? I don't need to, to, to rate who's better, who's best. I'm, I'm not saying who's better. I'm just saying that we don't, really, we don't really have a right to criticize when we do the exact same thing in the West anyway. I, I'll criticize anybody. And, and I, I think that, you know, fundamentalist religion of all stripes, there's a lot of ingrained sexism there. But when you get – But who's to say that it's fundamentalist? I mean if she's just saying that this is, you know, what I believe is – this is my culture and it's OK for me to wear the niqab. Who's to say that it's fundamentalist? I, and I don't. I, I mean, mean I, I go to a church. I go to a uh, – you could call it a Pentecostal church. And yeah. women, women dress modestly. Now, um, some – like there's been sermons in the church where um, people have implored women to dress modestly. And then there are some women who attend – the congregation, and they dress modestly because that's the way that they want to dress. Yeah. Well, you know what? There's like – and this is wading into this and all the emails I'm going to get for all the things I've said is exactly why the government has no business in this at all. Yeah, I, I would argue that there is a tradition and that in general the practice comes out of a tradition that has some really problematic gender stuff in it. Then you then you get to the level of a human being, Zunera Ishak, who wants to wear a certain kind of dress and that's – whether that's her personal, aesthetic, religious, cultural, whatever the heck it is, that it's just not – anybody's business. Okay, it's just you, know, you know what I find you know what I find like more offensive than so you want to talk about like you know secrecy and so forth. I find it appallingly bad politics to start talking about people's secrecy when your government itself has been under fire for lack of transparency. <laughs> the <laughs> the uh the, the niqab that the conservative party has been has been <laughs> donning. Exactly. Yeah. Je comprends très bien qu'il y a beaucoup à Radio Canada qui déteste de ces valeurs. Mais je pense que ces valeurs sont les vraies valeurs de, d'une grande pourcentage des Québécois. There's our fearless leader on French radio uh, speaking out against Radio-Canada, CBC, in French Canada, that they hate conservative values, that it's filled with people who, can say, who hate conservative values. And going on to say that uh, the values in Quebec, he feels that Radio-Canada does not reflect the values in Quebec. And he, and he says, lowering taxes, staying tough on crime and cracking down on the threat of terrorism – this is a play to basically what it is is to it's um, the charter of the well it's almost to discredit anything that you hear from Radio Canada. It's so you know you you can't take um, even straight news at face value. So and to me it's 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 kind of gross because you've already stacked the deck. Uh, with CBC's board, you've already stacked the deck with your foot soldiers. So what? Ten more- out of twelve members of the CBC board being conservative affiliated, right. and President Hubert Lacroix being a conservative appointee. Exactly. How much more power could you possibly want? And it kind of shows a, a bit of fearfulness to me that um, he's. Ha- and, and this is a problem that I think I've, I've had with the Harper administration from the get go is that they've got such a huge problem with dissent. They cannot take criticism. I think that. Um, the Liberal Party had its own issues with inability to to absorb uh, dissent, but Stephen Harper takes this off to like an unbelievable degree. Where if you believe that, it, like you have no hard proof of this, but we just sort of take it for granted that you know um, Radio Canada employees do have liberal values. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know them. I haven't spoken to them personally. But why is that such a big problem for you? 
I mean, why, what do they, why do they have to embrace conservative values in order to be a legitimate news station? But it's not a problem for him. I mean, like, we're, we're just giving him way too much credit. I mean, Andre, he's politicking. He's, he's campaigning. Yeah. Like, this is – but what, what strikes me is just how brazen it is and after the whole, like – but think about to, the, to think about the timing, in a cab yeah. in Quebec got shot down. He's 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 that's who he's he's pitching to. No, I, I completely get that. But I mean, all of this stuff is. I don't want to be like this 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 conspiracy theorist that says, "Oh, you know, Jesse, go ahead and connect the dots here." I mean, this is all making sense. But if you consider the collapse of Sun News, which to me was an Islamophobic network, uh, they have. I mean, say whatever the hell you want to me, but I believe that that was a racist organization, or at least operated in the service of racism. So you look at the collapse of Sun News, and then people believing that a voice from the right has been lost. Conflate that with you know the uh, what we've just talked about here with refusing or refusing to to drop. Um, your grudge against somebody who wants to take the citizenship oath wearing a niqab. Conflate that with um, refusing to label terrorism as terrorism if it ha- has nothing to do with Islam. I think what we're sort of getting at here is this, this this idea that there's something that is not present on the right end of the spectrum that Canada is sort of suppressing. Like we're we're too politically correct. We're too welcoming of other people. and uh, and, and our national broadcaster is partially responsible for that. But the, the the failure of Sun News to connect with an audience. I mean, we do have a country that has put conservative governments, uh, conservative government after conservative government, into power, and yet every attempt to sort of pander to this idea of a scared and you know, well, I think part extreme of that is- Canadian conservative has failed. So it, it's interesting to me, and I hate like I know that every conversation about Harper, everyone just goes to his tactics. But it's rare to see him – we've seen ugly Harper before. He'll get ugly if he thinks he's got something – you know, like he'll, he'll go there. It's not like he's above like really questionable little – like slipping in those kinds of comments. Right. But I don't know that we've seen desperate Harper before. And I think that we're getting a little preview of what we might be seeing is is I think that we're, we're getting a little glimpse of desperate Harper. Well, I think the, those polls kind of scared the brown into his pants um, showing that the liberal uh, – the liberals have a uh, – um, if if a vote was held today, the liberals may actually capture the majority. So I think they're they're running a little bit scared from the polls. This is almost like um, Hillary Clinton's pitch to working class white Americans during the Democratic primary. I mean, I, I, I we've seen the same sort of thing before, and we see how well that's the enemy. Plays. Radio Canada. Like well, here's lefties. the other here's the other part too. Is um I th- I think that uh, by making that kind of play. You're it's it's a bit of a dog whistle to the uh, the far right conservatives who believe that. They they have a reason to feel aggrieved, but they don't like seeing themselves reflected in Sun News. I mean, I think that there's something ugly in Sun News that a lot of people who agreed with their points of view didn't like to see reflected in the reporting. I think more people than would actually care to admit agreed with people like Brian Lilly and Ezra Levant. I think that there was some kernel in what they were saying that people actually believed, but the way they were saying it, uh, I think most people just couldn't co-sign and I think that with the loss of, of that end of the political spectrum, as far as the media is concerned, um, the best that Stephen Harper can do right now, rather than try to use Sun News as his house organ, is to then discredit what many believe is the voice of the far left, which is the CBC and Radio Canada. I just feel like, you know, personally a front time. I'm glad to see more and more people getting in on media criticism. It's nice to see that. I never thought that Harper would try to get in on it. The, the <laughs> field is getting Harper crowded. Harper is now – exactly. We lost uh, David Carr, unfortunately. So it's good yeah. to see Stephen Harper trying to step into the void. I'm completely kidding. <laughs> uh, Andre, thank you. Thank you.
That's your Canada Land Shortcuts. You can always email me at jesse at jessebrown.ca. I'm on Twitter at jessebrown. Andre, where, where can people find you? Uh, at Andre Demise. The website is canadalandshow.com, and the crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. Next episode of Canada Land will be up on Monday. I produced this show with Andrew Norton. If you like this show, support it. And, okay.